You're listening to the Touch Em Up Podcast. I'm your host, Double M, and on today's episode, we're going to be breaking down UFC Brasilia with a main event bout in the lightweight division between the Motown phenom, Kevin Lee, and Charles Dubronx Oliveira, as well as giving you my reaction to WWE Elimination Chamber 2020 and some fight announcements along the way as well, including the return of the Dominator, Dominic Cruz, the best 135-pound fighter on the planet. So without any further ado, let's get this started and step into the ring. All right, guys, how's everybody doing tonight? Like I said, we've got a lot to go over, and I'm going to actually start off with the UFC predictions. I know if I usually review a wrestling or an MMA show, that it that usually starts it off first. We'll do the review, and then we'll do the predictions to end it off. But there's so much on this fight card for UFC Brasilia. And a lot of fights that I think people are really overlooking. Aside from that main event, I think everybody knows that that's going to be a fantastic fight for the lightweight division. But there's so many good guys. I mean, you've got a former top contender at 145 in Hanato Moicano. You've got a Leo Zaleski Dos Santos. You've got, obviously, Kevin Lee. You've got Charles Oliveira. You've got, um, who is it? Who else? I mean, there's Amanda Rebos. You've got Brandon Moreno versus Juicy A. Formiga, which is a fantastic fight. And might give you your next number one contender for the flyweight division. I mean, you've got guys like John McDessie. You've got Johnny Walker returning after losing to uh, Corey Anderson at UFC 244. I mean, it's just, just fantastic. You've got Damian Maya, one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists in MMA. One of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu artists of all time going up against Gilbert Burns, who's a surging contender in that welterweight division. there's just so much, I mean, a ton of stuff to go over. So we're going to start it off with the uh, prelims. And the first one, I mentioned him. That was one of the first fighters names I mentioned. It's in the welterweight division. We've got Alessi Zaleski Dos Santos, who's 21 and six in MMA going up against Alexi Kunchenko, who's 20 and one overall in professional mixed martial arts. Now, when you look at the records, I mean, obviously, you know, Alexei Kudchenko has the better record. He's only lost once. He's won 20 fights. But you, when you look at a guy like a, a Leo Zaleski Dos Santos, I mean, he is, he's technical. He throws wild stuff. He's knocked out people with flying knees where he hurt him with a flying knee and then used some ground and pound to uh, get the finish. He's knocked people out with spinning back kicks, spinning hook kicks. He's, uh, he, he knocked out one of his last opponents with a, the guy went for an Iminari roll, which is where you roll onto the one shoulder to grab the leg to go for a leg lock, and he timed the roll with a knee and caught him on the chin and knocked him out cold. One of the craziest knockouts you'll ever see. Just look up a Alessi Zaleski Dos Santos knockout, and uh, you'll find it. Alexei Kunchenko, though, is no joke either. He has very solid lead high kicks and rear round kicks. Um Really good punches as well. He'll get in close and try to rough you up as quickly as he can. He's got a lot of power and a lot of pop on his shots. Um, if I got to pick a winner for this fight, I know Alexei Kunchenko has the better record, but I got to go with Ale- Alezzi Zaleski Dos Santos. I mean, I just think he's got more weapons. I think he's got, I don't know if he has more power. I would probably give the power advantage to Alexei Kunchenko, but I just think that Zaleski Dos Santos has fought the better competition. I think that He's more technical, and he's able to finish the fights in more spots than Alexei Kunchenko, but it could really go either way. This fight's a coin flip, and I would not be surprised either way that it goes, but I'm going to pick a Lizzie Zaleski Dos Santos to get the win via, we'll go second round knockout. 
Up next in the women's strawweight division, we have Amanda Hivas, who's 8-1 in professional mixed martial arts, going up against Ronda Marcos, who's 10-7 and won no contest. This is a great fight as well, but it's more of, I feel like they're this fight, they're kind of feeding Ronda Marcos to the Wolves. She's got some decent wins in the UFC, but whenever she fights, you know, top-level top level contenders in that strawweight division, she seems to get outclassed. And I, I think Amanda Hivas is just better everywhere in this fight, anywhere this fight goes. I know that uh, Randa Marcos has trained out of TriStar. I mean, obviously, you've got guys like George St. Pierre. Now you have Kevin Lee, who we'll talk about when we get to the main event. You've got Rory McDonald. You've got so many people moving over to TriStar. I mean, you've got top level after top level after top level fighter and and world champions. It's probably one of the best gyms in all of mixed martial arts all the way around. But if I got to pick a winner, like I said, I got to go with Amanda Hivas. I think that she's just, she has bigger pop in her shots on the feet. I think her grappling is better. I think she will shine in the grappling against Ronda Marcos, even though that's her wheelhouse. Marcos is pretty good on the ground and she has decent striking. You know, her jab's pretty good, but anybody who trains out a TriStar gym is going to have a little bit of pop in their jab. And that's one of the best shots that people from TriStar gym throw is that jab. So I expect her to land that jab or try to set up some takedowns. But I think Hivas is just too technical, too power. And she's also wild. She is technical and she, she's good on the ground and able to get submissions. But she's, she's also not afraid to get into a firefight and throw just heavy, heavy shots. So I think Hivas is going to stun her on the feet, take her back, and get a submission. I'm going to go in the first. I'm going to go. We'll go first round. I think she's going to run through her. I think Amanda Hivas is good for that strawweight division. It's just another top contender who can run through the division, you know, Straw weight has really been built up. The women's divisions have been building up lately. I mean, obviously, 145, you don't really have a division, but the straw weight and the women's bantamweight divisions have been building up slow and steady over the past few, you know, years. Up next, the main event of the prelims in the flyweight division. This could be the winner. The winner of this fight could definitely get the next title shot against Juicy A, or uh, I want to say Juicy A Formiga but he's actually in this fight against Davison Figueredo. I know Figueredo did not win the championship because he lost, he missed weight by, I believe, two and a half pounds. He came in overweight, um, but he ended up knocking out Joseph Benavidez. I know Dana White said he wants to run that fight back. I don't think that's a good idea. I think the winner of this fight or the winner of another fight, which got announced for a further, for another card down the line, which we'll explain pretty soon, should get the next title shot and fight Juicy A4, or, uh, Fight Davison Figueredo for the championship. So it's the number three ranked Juicy A Formiga, who holds a record of 23 wins and six losses, versus the number five ranked Brandon the Assassin Baby Moreno, who's 15 wins, five losses, and one draw or one no contest. I believe it was a draw. Um, really good fight here in the flyweight division. Really, really solid fight. You look at a guy like Juicy A Formiga, he has gotten knockouts. He landed a spinning back fist on Ben Wynn, which... He, uh, he then jumped on him to try to get the finish and then ended up taking his back for a rear naked choke. He has very, very good ground control. If he's able to take your back, you're pretty much done for this flyweight division. I believe he has a submission win over Davison Figueredo, and then Joseph Benavidez ended up getting a finish over him. But he is one of the top guys in that flyweight division on the cusp of a title shot with a number three ranking. But Brandon, the assassin, Baby Moreno, is fantastic. You know, he was in the UFC... 
he he lost he lost a couple fights. They they put him out of the UFC and then they brought him back. And when he came back, he really just went off and looked great. He had a fantastic showing against Sergio Pettis. He did lose that fight, but early on in the fight, he was able to take his back, get a get control and control Sergio Pettis for the more, the entirety of that first round. But you look at his last fight. Brandon Moreno has a win over Kaikar of France from UFC 245. And you guys have heard me talk about, about Kaikar of France on this podcast a multitude of times. I mean, he's one of my favorite flyweights, and I think he could definitely be the champion. But the fact that Brandon, the assassin baby Moreno, beat him, um, it, it, it speaks volumes. And you look at what some of his best tactics are. He likes to fight with his hands down and kind of lull you, you know, kind of trick you, you know, put his hands out in front of him and be like, come on, hit me. And then he'll try to move and slip your shots. And his hands are always down. He never really has his hands up. He'll put up that rear hand a little bit to block kicks, but usually his hands are always down. And he tries to uh, step in and throw that looping left hook over the top as you come in. But his best shot are his body kicks and his high kicks and mainly from his lead left side. He'll, he'll trick you up. He'll get you to throw a combination, throw that left hook over the top. He'll get you to come in. He'll go jab, cross, lead, kick to the body. Jab, cross, lead, high kick. He'll go cross, switch his feet, and go lead, high kick. He'll go jab, cross, rear, high kick. His kicks are the best part of Brandon Moreno's game and his jab. He was busting up Kaikar France with that jab. Every time Kaikar France would try to come in towards that second and third round, because I did end up giving the first round to Kaikar France in their fight at 245, he was just popping him with that jab, just pop. Busting up the nose. I think he's going to be able to pop that jab in Juicier Formiga's face and uh, hurt him, keep him off of him. And that's going to stop him from being able to get in close to shoot the takedowns, get under, get get on the hips and get the takedowns and take the back. If it does go to the ground, I give an advantage to Juicier Formiga, but he has to look out for the guillotines of Brandon the Baby Assassin Moreno, the Assassin Baby Moreno. Because if he shoots a sloppy takedown, which it's hard. When you've got such a decorated jujitsu artist like Juicy Formiga for him to shoot a, a, a salty or like a sloppy takedown. But if he continues to get popped and put on and the pressure gets put on by Brandon Moreno, that which is probably what's going to happen. He might shoot a bad takedown. Brandon Moreno is going to try to grab that neck, go palm to palm with that guillotine and wrap his legs around. And he might be able to finish him with that guillotine. That's a stretch because of how good of a jujitsu artist Formiga is. But I, like I said, I think the variety, I think the awkwardness of Brandon Moreno and the conditioning. He does not get tired in any of his fights, and I think it's going to carry him to a win. I'm going to go Brandon, the assassin baby Moreno, to uh, actually get the finish. I think it'll be a close first round. I think in the second round, Moreno's going to really pick it up and pick up on the rhythm of Juicy A. Formiga. That's one thing he's very good at is picking up on the rhythm, and uh, I think that he'll be able to get the finish. In the third round via a TKO. If not, it'll be a decision. But I'm going to go third round TKO for the assassin baby, Brandon Moreno. And definitely watch this fight because his last fight was one of my favorite fights of the year between him and uh, Kaikar Franz. Let's see. Let's see. Up next, we're going to move to the main card. And this is a stacked main card. This fight night is absolutely fantastic. And if you want to know where it takes place at, it's actually UFC Fight Night 170 on ESPN+. Plus. And it's going to be in the Genasio Nilsson Nelson Arena in Brazil. Up next, yeah. So first off, let's start on the main card. We've got a lightweight bout between two guys have been in the U who have been in the UFC for a very long time. You've got Masaran Duba, Francisco Trinaldo, who holds a record of 23 wins and seven losses. And you've got the Bull John McDessie. 
Now, we've talked about TriStar, obviously, with Kevin Lee training out of TriStar. We talked about Random Marcos working out of TriStar with one of the best coaches and best minds in mixed martial arts and martial arts in general, which is Faraz Sahabi. Uh, he trained one of the best guys in the world, George St. Pierre. And uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, like I said, when we get to the main event. But John McDessey also trains out of TriStar. And you see that in his recent fights, I believe he's on a three-fight win streak. Let's look up who his last win was over really quick. I just want to, I believe it was in like 2018. He got a win over, I think the guy's name was John something. Uh, Jesus Pinedo, he got a decision win back in uh, March of 2019. He got a win over Ross Pearson via decision in 2018 at UFC on Fox 30. He got a win over Abel Trujillo in 2017 at UFC on Fox 26. So those are decent wins. Those are pretty good wins, you know, for John McDessey, and he's on a bit of a streak. Francisco Trinaldo, though, I believe he might be on a streak as well, but let me see. Francisco Trinaldo, let's see who he fought last. So he beat Bobby Green via decision in November on November 16th, 2019. He lost to Alexander Hernandez via decision. I believe it was a 30-27, and a lot of people didn't agree with that. Some people thought that uh, Trinaldo won the fight. Before that, he beat Evan Dunham. So I think he's on a two-fight, is it a two-fight win streak? No, so he just won, he's on a one-fight win streak, which isn't really a streak, but, you know, he fought guys like France, uh, Bobby Green, he fought Alexander Hernandez, he fought Paul Felder and got a finish over Paul Felder, I believe, fought Evan Dunham, fought James Vick, uh, who else, Jim Miller, fought Kevin Lee, he's fought really, really good guys, but so is John McDessey, and I think that the, the thing that's going to, really push me to pick McDessey is his kicks. He's he's a multiple time. I believe he was undefeated in professional kickboxing with a record of I want to say it was like 17 and 0 in professional kickboxing. It might be it might be bigger than that like 21 and 0 or something. But he got a he's was undefeated in pro kickboxing so you know his leg kicks, his high kicks and his body kicks are going to be on point. And I think that he's going to point fight in this fight. I don't expect it to be a uh a barn burner. I think that McDessey's going to keep him on the edge of his jab and land kicks from range to try to keep Trinaldo off of him. If Trinaldo's able to close the distance, he does have good power in his strikes, really good uh, punching power, and he could hurt McDessey if he gets in close. But I think McDessey's just a little bit too slick for him. And, uh, you know, his record doesn't say it because it's 17 and 6, but he's training out of TriStar, and the jab and the game plan is going to be on point. So I'm going to go with McDessey, but that's a really close fight. Up next in the light heavyweight division, we have the return of Johnny Walker, who's ranked number 11 in the division with a record of 17 wins and three losses, going up against Nikita Krylov, who's 26-6 and six overall. This is a tough fight, a really, really tough fight. Um, Johnny Walker was looking to be the next guy to be fighting for John Jones for the title if he was to get past Corey Anderson at UFC 244. And I think a lot of people were writing off Corey Anderson in that fight, including myself. I thought Johnny Walker was going to knock him out in the first round. But that's not what happened. Walker just kind of was playing his little his little fake and faint, move in, move out, move side to side, and kind of playing games with him. And he played a little bit too much games a little bit too many, and got hit with an overhand right, which cracked him. Um, he tried to counter. I believe uh, Corey Anderson ran in. He tried to counter with a straight left hand. It missed. Anderson pushed forward. Boom, boom, boom. Power in that right hand and ended up finishing him in the first round. So that's a, that was a big hit for Johnny Walker, but he's still 17-3 and three overall in professional mixed martial arts. And Nikita Krylov is 26-6. and six. 
Krylov has a very good jujitsu game. Krylov is able to, you see what he did against Ovin St. Peru, I believe, which was at UFC. Was it UFC 2? Let's see, let's see. Nikita Krylov. So he lost to Glover Teixeira in his last fight via decision at UFC Fight Night 158. He beat Ovin St. Peru by submission at UFC 236. I believe he locked up a rear naked choke. Ovin St. Peru has uh, fallen victim to that many times in his career with that rear naked choke. He lost to Jan Blahovic via submission. So his ground game isn't the best, but it's pretty, it's really good. And his top pressure and his wrestling is good for that light, uh, light heavyweight division. He lost to Misha Serkinov via submission. And then he knocked out Ed Herman and uh, got a submission over Francisco Barrasso. One thing you know from Nikita Krylov is he is a very, very, very good lead high kick. You saw him catch Ed Herman with that against the fence. I believe he threw a right hand and then faded off to that right side and threw that lead high kick and caught Ed Herman on the jaw and knocked him out. So he has power in his kicks. His kicks are fast. His kicks are extremely fast for this division. But I just think that Johnny Walker is going to be able, going to come back with some resurgence. I think he's not going to fight as crazy as he normally does because, you know, he comes out really quick and tries to finish you. He's gotten flying knees, spinning back fist really early in the first round in about 30 to 40 seconds early in the round. Um, but I think that he's going to come out a little bit more patient, but still a little bit crazy. I think he's going to fake and faint. I think he's going to move side to side. I think he's going to time Nikita Krylov as he tries to move in. And I think he's going to catch him with a with a knee, hurt him. I think Nikita Krylov's going to be able to battle back from it. But I think that John Johnny Walker is going to come out and uh, look like a star in this fight. But it is a very tough fight for him. And I, I could go either way, but I just see Johnny Walker you know, getting back to the form that we know he can. He might not play as many games because he got caught last time, but I think he's going to come in focused and uh, a little and really loose in this fight and uh, catch Nikita Krylov early with uh, either a high kick or a flying knee and finish him off. I'm actually going to go with a flying knee in the first round for Johnny Walker. Up next in the lightweight division, we have a man who moved up from 145 pounds and is ranked the number seven featherweight in Hanato Moicano, who's 13-3-1 overall in professional mixed martial arts, going up against Demir Hodzovic, who's 13-4. The first thing you think of when you think of a guy like Demir Hodzovic, because a lot of people don't know who this guy is, was that knockout he got during the Imanari role. I don't remember what opponent he fought. Let's see if we can find it really quick. Demir Hanzovic. I just want to see his name. So he lost his last fight on June 1st, 2019 by to Christos Giagos. And then before that, he beat Marco Polo Reyes via knockout in the second round. He beat Nick Hine via, via decision. He lost to Alain Patrick. But he, he was able to catch, I believe he caught Marco Polo Reyes with that knee. He uh, he timed it as he went for an Imanari roll, hit him on the jaw, and finished him. So it's going to be a tough fight for either guy. But honestly, when it comes down to it, Hanato Moicano is very good on the outside, very good with his jab, very good with his hooks, and uh, very good at keeping you at range and avoiding you from coming in. The best thing that he has are his inside and outside low kicks, and he uses those low kicks and the jab to set up combinations. He'll go jab. Cross, hook, round kick to the leg. Jab, cross, switch stance, switch kick to the body. Jab, cross, lead kick to the body, cross. Um, jab, slip, pay, uh, play at distance. Um, he's coming off two losses. He lost to 
uh, Jose Aldo Jr. via knockout, and he lost to the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung, who caught him with one of the most beautiful overhand rights I've ever seen in my in all of mixed martial arts. If you haven't seen that, watch Hanato Moikano versus Chan Sung Jung and look at that knockout because it was a beautifully timed overhand right. But like I said, Demir Hodzovic, from what I've seen from him, he's good on the ground, but he's a little too wild for my liking. I think that he has the ability to knock out Hanato Moicano, but I think that the technical ability and the experience of Moicano, you know, Moicano fought Brian T. City Ortega and was, was beating him for almost the entirety of the fight and was going to win a decision until he got caught in a guillotine and uh, submitted. And you know, if you give your neck to T-City, he's going to put you in a triangle or a guillotine, or, and he's going to choke you out. So anybody who gives their neck to Brian T-City Ortega can get submitted like that. But yeah, I got to go with Moicano. Like I said, I think he's going to be able to keep Hodzovic at, at distance. I think the I think the wildness and a little bit brawling style of Demir Hodzovic he is technical and he does have good technique, but I think he likes to get into a fist fight and Hanato Moicano does not play that. I think that's going to play right into the game of Moicano. He's going to pick him apart with that jab at range, land inside and outside low kicks to try to stop Hodzovic from coming in and, and have the ability to push off on his feet to get the power. If you take out the legs, the power is not going to be there because it's going to be hard for you to push off and plant that foot. So I think I expect to see a little bit of a similar approach to how he fought Kelvin Cater at UFC 223 and attack the inside, attack the outside low kicks, and attack with kicks to the body and use that jab and cruise to a decision. I'm going to go with Hanato Moicano to get the win in his UFC lightweight debut via unanimous decision. Up next, we move to the co-main event in the welterweight division. We've got... The number five ranked Damian Maya, the jiu-jitsu ace, versus the number 12 ranked Gilbert Dorino Burns, who's 16 and 3 overall in mixed martial arts. Damian Maya is 27 and 9. You know, here's the thing. Damian Maya has more experience, obviously, and he's better on the ground. But you gotta think, you know, Dur Gilbert Burns is a multiple-time jiu-jitsu world champion. I believe he's won at least three, four, five championships in Brazilian jiu-jitsu grappling, a black belt in jiu-jitsu, so he knows his way around the ground. Damian Maia, obviously, is one of the best to ever do it on the ground, and if he gets you on the ground, that's his wheelhouse, and his top control is great. But I think Gilbert Burns is more well-rounded overall. If it stays on the feet, Gilbert Burns will knock out Damian Maia. He has vicious power in his punches, really good kicks to the body and kicks up top to the head, and just vicious power. If he lands that overhand right on you, he could put you to sleep like that. And I think he's he has the ability to not worry about the takedown from Damian Maia. A lot, if I expect Damian Maia to try to get a takedown in this fight, I would expect him to either try to get a body lock and uh, work against the fence to try to climb up the back of Gilbert Torino Burns, or to go for a single leg and then sit back with the underhook and get into a half-guard position. That's where Damian Maya does some of his best works and his best sweeps to get on top and control you is from that um, is from that half-guard position. So I just think that Gilbert Burns has too much power and he's on a streak right now. Obviously, Maya's on a streak. He just He's coming off a huge win over Ben Askren via submission, which is huge because Ben Askren is one of the best wrestlers in ever, you know, to come into the sport of mixed martial arts. But here's the thing. I think that the jiu-jitsu the jiu favors Maya a little bit, but just slightly. But the striking and on the feet, 
And in the clinch, I think it favors Gilbert Burns. I think Gilbert Burns is too powerful, and I think Damian Maya is coming towards the end of his career. We've said that a bunch of times about Maya, and then he ends up coming back to win. So I could be, you know, biting off a little bit more than I could chew with this prediction. But like I said, I think Burns has more power. He's slicker on the feet. He has a lot of pop and quick hands. I think quick hands is going to be trouble for Damian Maya because of the pop. He's not going to have sloppy strikes to look at. It's going to be pop, 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 pop. And I think that that's going to piece up Damian Maya. And I'm going to go with Gilbert Burns to actually finish Damian Maya with an overhand right and knock him stiff. (coughs) Sorry, guys. I had to get some water. Talking a lot. Uh, And then we get to the main event, which is a fantastic fight in the lightweight division between the number eight ranked Kevin, the Motown Phenom Lee, who holds a record of 17 wins and five losses versus Charles Dubronx Oliveira, who holds a record of 27 wins, eight losses and one no contest. This fight is very, very close, very close, a flip of a coin. When you look at a guy like Kevin, the Motown Phenom Lee, he came into the UFC really just with a hot streak, beating guys like Michael Chiesa, beating Francisco Trinaldo, submitting uh, Magomed Mustafaev, submitting guys over and over and over again and controlling him them with the wrestling. But he has developed into a decent striker as well. Um, one fight I always look back to is his fight against Edson Barbosa and his fight against Tony Ferguson at UFC 216. You look at the fight against Ferguson, yes, he lost. But he also came into that fight with a staph infection. So it was hard for him to obviously, he didn't have the cardio to push hard and you need that against Ferguson. But he did get Ferguson down and get him in t- in full mount. He didn't do a lot of damage from the mount, but he got Ferguson in mount. That's a huge feather in the cap of, of Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee. One of the best strikes he has is, is his kicks. You saw it in his last fight at UFC 244 against Gregor Gillespie. He landed a right hand which directed um, which directed uh, Gregor, Gregor Gillespie to the left, and then he switched and threw a lead high kick and knocked Gregor Gillespie out cold. One of the most vicious high kick knockouts I've ever seen in mixed martial arts. And he's training out a TriStar gym. He made the necessary changes to move to one of the best gyms in the world in TriStar. He trains with guys like George St. Pierre on a daily basis. And all the guys I mentioned earlier, because we have a few people from TriStar on this card. And one of the things I think is George St. Pierre said that Kevin Lee has all the makings of a world champion. He just has to put it together. And I think that the Gregor Gillespie call out or the Gregor Gillespie knockout was the the resurgence of the Motown phenom Kevin Lee. Now you look at a guy like Charles Dubronx Oliveira. He has some of the best jujitsu chokes and submissions in all of mixed martial arts. If he gets you on the ground, it's trouble and he can wrap you up and submit you. But he has learned to strike a lot more in his recent fights and lands vicious punches and kicks and can knock you out with one shot if he times that right hand good enough. And I think this is a fantastic fight, but the one area I lean in this fight and lean a little bit more towards is the fact that I think Kevin Lee has really come into his own. And you look at what he did against Barbosa. He got clipped with a spinning wheel kick, but he stayed on his feet and he got the takedown afterwards. And he also beat Barbosa in some of the striking exchanges just because of his pressure, his wrestling, and his top control. I don't expect the the top control to be easy for Kevin Lee, but I think Kevin Lee is going to come in with a great game plan training with Faraz Sahabi. I think that jujitsu favors... Charles Oliveira, but wrestling and, and power and strength favors Kevin Lee all day. If he gets, if he leaves his neck out or leaves his arm out, 
you know, he can easily get submitted by Charles Oliveira. Like I said, one of the best submission artists in all of the UFC. But let's just look at some of the stats. I mean, reach, you've got a 77-inch reach for Kevin Lee and a 74-inch reach for Charles Oliveira. You've got 67% of the wins coming by way of submission for Charles Oliveira, but 47% of the wins coming by way of submission for Kevin Lee. I mean, strikes per minute, a little bit of an advantage for Lee at 4.06 to 3.18. Um, absorbed per minute, pretty close. 3.18 for Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee and 3.01 for Charles Dubronx Oliveira. In the grappling, the takedown average is 3.1 for Kevin Lee and 2.8 for uh, Charles Dubronx Oliveira. So each of these guys can take you down and they'll look for the takedown in the split in a split second. There's going to be a lot of wrestling exchanges and they could really go either way. Takedown defense. It's an 80% defense for Kevin Lee and a 58% defense for Charles Oliveira. But like I said, he likes to welcome the grappling. He likes to try to get up, be on his back and try to get submissions. Um, this is going to be fantastic. And Charles Oliveira attempts way more submissions, like I've explained. 2.8 submissions per 15 minutes on average for Charles Oliveira, but 0.98 for Kevin Lee. He likes to control you on the top and go for ground and pound and then set up a submission. But I think the strength of Kevin Lee, I think the game plan that Faraz Sahabi is going to come up with, I think he's going to use that jab, try to keep him at range and be calmer in exchanges. You know, not really try to brawl as much and just be calm. I think he might stuff a few takedowns from Oliveira. But yeah, I got to go with Kevin Lee, and I'm going to go with this, a finish. I think he's going to knock out Charles Dubronx Oliveira in the third round. You know what? No, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go second round knockout. I think it'll be close in the first round, but I think that Kevin Lee's striking is just going to be that little bit above Charles Oliveira. I think he's going to pick him apart. I think he's going to land that lead high kick again or a rear high kick, stun him, and finish him. I think that that's the thing. He has really, really solid kicks. You saw it against Gillespie. You saw it against Tony Ferguson. You saw it against Barbosa. And I think we see the same thing here. I think he sets up a high kick and knocks out Charles Dubronx Oliveira in the second round. All right, guys, I'll catch you on the second part for WWE and some UFC fight announcements.